0: Uh, we're in uh, the second week of our uh, series on uh, Jesus' passion. We're, um, we're kind of following Jesus as he, he suffers. He's, you know, uh, he's arrested. Um, today he's going to go on trial. And, and as he's going through, what we're, we're seeing is something really, uh, actually, theologically controversial. And we're seeing that God um, is able to experience, God has um, of an intimate knowledge of what it is like for us as human beings to suffer. For a long time, this was uh, considered uh, heresy, actually. Uh, it, was just, it was thought that this was um, uh, just out of the— like, God is super separate from the universe, and or from our created world, and nothing that we experience, nothing that we uh, have can really be a part of the divine life, because otherwise, then God wouldn't be God, okay? Because God needs to be beyond us and above us. And uh, I, I just think that as we're going through this section in Mark, we're just seeing over and over, that's just not the case. It's just not. Like, Jesus, who is the incarnation, Jesus, who is God, who's assumed human flesh and nature, is going through all of the horrible things that we as human beings experience. We say that Jesus fills up in himself the complete, the totality of what it is to be human, even the darkest parts of being human. And and we see this in the New Testament, and that's our theme verse, it's in Hebrews, Um for we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And the notion is, is that Jesus has been there, and no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it gets, he gets it. He gets it too. Uh, last week we talked about uh, abandonment. We saw that Jesus was abandoned at the uttermost. This week, um, I think this is really probably the most relevant to our contemporary situation in, in our culture. This week, it's, it's about being accused. So uh, without further ado, let's, um, let's take a look at the text. Uh, this is the common English Bible version. I've edited it slightly, um, really just for, for understanding. Um, but here we go. Verse 53 of Mark 14. They led Jesus away to the high priest. His name's Caiaphas. And all the chief priests, elders, and legal experts gathered... Peter followed from a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the guards, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many brought false testimony against him, but they contradicted each other. Some stood to offer false witness against him, saying, We heard him saying, I will destroy this temple constructed by men, and within three days I will build another, one not made by men. But their testimonies didn't agree even on this point. Then high priest Caiaphas stood up in the middle of the gathering and examined Jesus. Aren't you going to respond to the testimony these people have brought against you? But Jesus was silent and didn't answer. Again, the high priest asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Jesus finally speaks and says, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting on the right right side of the almighty and coming on the heavenly clouds. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, maybe cried out, Why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard his insult against God. What do you think? They all condemned him. He deserves to die. Some began to spit on him. Some covered his face and hit him, saying, Prophesy! Then the guards took him and beat him. Not a cheery text. The closer you get to the crucifixion, the darker things get, which makes sense and probably mirrors some of our own experience when we start to walk into those times of life where um, we're entering into trial, we entering into suffering. It's like you think maybe it's going to be okay, but it gets worse and worse and worse, and pretty soon you're in the depths. But I think uh, this text has a lot to speak to us and our, our circumstance now, and I, I want to I wanna dig into it a little deeper. So let's start over. Then they, le- they led Jesus away to the high priest. All the chief priests, elders, and legal experts gathered. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that Jesus was just been uh, arrested in the middle of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what they do then is a bit strange. So they—these um, are the people who arrested the police, sort of like the religious police— Uh, which they had back then, Uh, and in a way we do now, and I'll talk about about that more later, but they they, they grab Jesus and they take him. Where do they take him? Not to a courthouse, interestingly. They take him to the house of Caiaphas. Um, And and we know, as it says, all the chief priests, elders, and legal experts, that's called the Sanhedrin. It's a group of 70 men, um, and these 70 men are uh, either religious elites— um, elders means, uh, wealthy people of influence in the, in Jerusalem. So these would be the kind of people who's, you know, they, they pull all the strings and they, if you know them, then things go well for you. And if you don't, then you're out, you know, Th- these guys are there. And then the legal experts, that's the, the, the people who know how to construct, construct, uh, to do a trial according to the biblical law, the Old Testament law, Levitical law. So you might notice that Caiaphas is probably a pretty rich dude if he's able to, uh, you know, hosts 70 people for a trial in his home in the middle of the night. And you might also notice, that's the thing, uh, if, if you get good at being a religious leader, you end up being super wealthy. That's a thing. And it's horrible, but uh, I, and it, it weirds me out and makes me a little bit feel guilty when I read this, because, I mean, we wouldn't be in the house we live in if it weren't for the gift of the church. And I know there's a lot of people who can't have that. And so when I see this, I'm actually a little bit like, oh, be careful, buddy. At any rate, uh, Caiaphas is, you know, he's hes gathered all the people there and, and he's got them there. And, and this is interesting, if you're going to get 70 people to show up at your house at 2 a.m., you probably have spent a little time preparing. You probably have them set up. You've probably let them know. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but you've got to be ready the drop of the hat to come and be with us because we got some important stuff to do. This is the middle of the night. And all of the leaders of Jerusalem are here getting ready to go. The bit about Peter, um, Mark's telling two stories at once. There's the story of Peter denying Jesus three times, which we touched on last week. And then there's the story of his trial, the Sanhedrin. So we don't need to pay too much attention to that. Let's keep moving on in the text. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death. Well, that doesn't seem fair. You might feel like this is kind of a show trial. when I was reading this um, this week, what was so crazy about it it was just over and over, I kept hearing and seeing and thinking about things that I've seen um, in the news and popular culture and the lives of our kids over and over and over in like the last maybe five to eight years. They're, They're looking for testimony against Jesus so they can put him to death doesn't say, looking for testimony against Jesus so they can find the truth and then put him to death. I have a couple of, uh, couple of people here, some pictures. Uh, if you follow the news, you might know uh, the, the biggest one there. That's Brett Kavanaugh. He's now Supreme Court Justice. If you were awake during the summer, you may recall that uh, for weeks on end, uh, there was just a huge controversy. Uh, there was, on one hand, uh, people saying that Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist and a sexual assaulter. And then on the other hand, people saying Brett Kavanaugh is a Boy Scout and a very good dude. And as all that was going on, it was was so interesting uh, as I was observing this, uh, kind of watching it. It was like, the interesting thing was, the way you felt, About whether, Because a lady came forward and said, Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted me 30 years ago in the 80s. And then two more people came forward and said that he was like, at one point I think like a serial date rapist. I mean, it was pretty, it was hardcore stuff. Um, But what was so interesting is that the people who believed the women uh, were all people who had a political bone to pick with Brett Kavanaugh. And then the people who believed Brett Kavanaugh were all the people who thought Brett Kavanaugh was an awesome guy and would make a great Supreme Court justice. And I got to this point where I realized that, that nobody was really interested in the truth. Nobody cared. The people on the left were worried uh, that Brett Kavanaugh would um, maybe strike down Roe versus Wade and, and reignite abortion debates in, in, in our country. And that was so horrible, they uh, needed him to be taken out. The people on the right were so excited about the possibility of somebody of a a right-leaning court that would address Roe v. Wade, um, that they were like, we need this guy. And so I think there were a lot of people who were accusing Brett Kavanaugh just to destroy him. Up there on the uh, top right, this is about five, six years ago, Justine Sacco, Uh, she, in the course of about a 10 to 11 hour period, she became the highest trending topic on Twitter. In 2013, for a job uh, trip, she had to go to South Africa. She went there by way of London, so she was at Heathrow. At Heathrow Airport, she was on the tarmac, and before the plane took off, she made an off-color joke about uh, the AIDS epidemic in, uh, in, in Africa, and then tweeted that to her 170 followers. The plane takes off, and so her phone goes off. Her tweet that's gone out to 170 followers starts getting copied and pasted and sent around the world. Uh, Literally the world. There's actually a map um, you can see that, that shows all of the hot spots where she was trending uh, because people were offended and angry that she would make an off-color joke about the AIDS epidemic. And it was a tasteless joke, it was terrible. Interestingly though, not that they just condemn it, they actually began to tweet her employers. And then they began to call her names. And then they began to um use language that was much more horrific than anything she said about AIDS. To um, so describe her as a person, the the Twitter hashtag was #HasJustineLanded hashtag has because there were all these people waiting for her to get back down on the ground, and turn on her phone, and find out that she was the most hated person in the world. She'd lost her job, and all of her friends had abandoned her. Uh, after days of this, she's, she's 30 years old when this happens, um, and she, she finally tweets, I'm seriously having panic attacks. I'm wondering if someone's going to harm me or my family members. My life is ruined already. Please stop. But she continued to be accused of being a bigot, accused of being um, a hater, accused of being uh, using her white privilege to demean others. Public enemy number one. Bottom right is James Damore. He used to work for Google. You know, those of you who've been here, you know I love Google. I super love that company. I don't want that place to get burned to the ground at all. James Damore, uh, he, he, sent a, he sent a memo uh, to his fellow Google employees saying that there's there a push to have more women working at Google. And he, his point was, he said, well, maybe one of the reasons that we have fewer w- female programmers is that women are, in general, less interested in programming than men. There's like a biological aspect to this. Whatever you think about that, um, he was immediately branded a a misogynist and an anti-feminist, and uh, he was fired. He was accused of hating women. He was accused of being a white supremacist. He was accused of a lot of things. And you have to wonder, are the people who are going after Justine Sacco and James Damore, the ones who are the, these, these super courageous warriors behind their keyboards, with their, an- their anonymity, typing out these horrible things, are they really interested in the truth about James Damore? Are they interested in the truth about Justine? Are they sitting there going, you know what, I think Justine really is a bigot, and we have to ruin her life over this. Or, or do they just want to find somebody to kill? I don't know, um, I don't know of anyone here who's been on the end of, of one of these you know, social media mobs. Um, I do know that it happens, and we will talk more about this uh, to our teens quite a bit, uh, and it's something that really frightens me for them. Um, but what the, the crazy thing about accusations is accusations themselves are meant to kill. These aren't people who are operating you know, with good intent. This is, this is an opportunity to collect a scalp, to take somebody out. And this is exactly what Jesus experienced. If you've ever been that person where, you know, in your job or whatever, where they're all just out to get you, he gets it. First thing you know cheats, um the purpose of Jesus accusation was to kill, not to find the truth. The text goes on. It says um Chief priests, so they're getting and they get they get a lot of people to so get false testimony. Now, notice again, this is happening in the middle of the night. So, in order for this to work, this, this means they've planned this ahead. They've probably got a whole bunch of people that, where they're like, "Hey, uh, we're going to need you to be there. We need you to take take a so. Are you ready? Drop of a hat to come up and just you know just lay into this guy. And so there's a bunch of bad actors who agree to this, probably getting paid. Um, so they come, but they bring false testimony and they're contradicting each other. And we might think, well, that's good news for Jesus, right? I mean, even the, the the saying there about the temple, Jesus did actually say something like this. He, he said, um, if this temple is, is destroyed in three days, it, it, I will rebuild it. And what he was referring to was his own death and resurrection, but people didn't understand it. And so there probably were people who were confused by it, and they found some of those people, and they were willing to say it, but they didn't understand it. And so even on that point, they were still contradicting each other. Great news, right? I mean, that's good news for Jesus. Where is it? Uh, I have a picture here of Gabriella Green. She was 12 years old when she committed suicide last year. She hung herself with a dog leash in her house. Because two girls at her school, also aged 12, um, began going to every single social media place that she was a part of. Instagram, Snapchat, you know, all, all everything, Tumblr, all the places where that she posted and had online communities, and they began to systematically spread rumors about her, rumors about um, sex, rumors about uh, things that she had done, uh, all totally false. But um, and interestingly, m- most of the rumors, like they contradicted each other. They weren't even like it was. They weren't even trying to have a semblance of anything like coherent. It was just pure character assassination. And so Gabriella was at school when she was at school her life was living hell but you know as soon as she got home then she was free right wrong because her phone kept blowing up every second with more and more people finding out the truth uh, the truth about who she was and what she'd done What's going on for Jesus is is they're just trying to throw everything against the wall see what sticks Right? I mean really if you're gonna try and destroy somebody, do you have to be, you know, really focused? No. The fun thing about destroying people is you can be completely off the off the wall. In fact, people like that more. What gossip are you more interested in? The one that's like, oh, that person eats too much? Or the one was like, oh no, that person's cheating on their wife. Which one's more interesting? Which one spreads faster like wildfire? The, the point is, even if Jesus gets off, even if, he, even if he's not convicted, I mean, he's going to be convicted, it's a show trial, but even if he didn't, his reputation is permanently ruined. All of the people in power, remember, all the most powerful people, the most influential people are there in the Sanhedrin, and they're all participating in this. They're all spreading rumors and gossips and lies, accusing him of this, that, and the other thing. And so kids, first off, if uh, any of you, teens, and if you have younger siblings, and parents, if you have younger kids, uh, gosh, if you, are in, if you or anyone you know uh, is being accused on social media and being isolated and being um, systematically destroyed, you must stand up for them. You must show them that there is a place where they are safe, and it's here, where no one will judge them, where they will be loved, where they will not be cut off. And they will not walk that road, that time of life. I mean, mean, (laughs) what matters more than feeling accepted when you're between the ages of 12 and 30? It used to be 12 and 18. Adolescence has gone on. We get that. It's fine. You can still really hurt my feelings by rejecting me. (laughs) 57, right? Um. And, and if you know them, um, and if, you're, if maybe in some way, in some part of your life, you're one of them, he gets it. God himself gets it. God has had the whole world lie about him and make him nothing and ground him down and ruined his reputation and isolated him. He gets it. Next thing in your note is that uh, accusations against Jesus caused harm even if they didn't make sense or even agree. And this is the truth about accusations now. Going on in the text. High priest stands up in the middle of the gathering and Examines Jesus. They've had all the testimony. The way that this worked is there would have been like a kind of a circular semicircle in front of Jesus, all the people accusing him, and then Jesus by himself, uh, alone, in like a. And so, so Caiaphas gets up and begins asking him questions. When did you stop beating your wife, Jesus? Jesus, were you always a pyromaniac, or did you just begin fighting, starting fires? Jesus, you heard this testimony. Were you always lying? Were you lying from the very beginning? When did it begin? When did it start? When did your lies begin, Jesus? Jesus was silent and didn't answer. Also, this is, uh, again, for you, the, the millennials and the young folks, this is a picture of a, a show trial from uh, the 1930s. Those of you, uh, especially those of you who are uh, big fans of socialism, this was... Um, this was a bit of a socialism in the, in the early uh, 20th century where um, Stalin uh, was trying to consolidate his power in uh, communist Russia. And so to get power, he had been a part of like a, a commanding group called the Politburo under his buddy Lenin. Lenin died. Stalin's going to you know, take over. But he has all these other guys who are a part of his life who he's worried might try to steal power from him. And so Stalin is a smooth operator, and he has pretty much zero moral code. And so what he does is he he arrests everybody that he thinks might be a rival to him. And then he puts them on trial. And so he begins with all of his former friends in the Politburo. And there's like, uh, I think they're like 17 or something at the first of these show trials. and 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 they're outraged, right? The guys are sitting there, and they're like, they can't believe they're being accused of treason. How is that possible? I was there at the beginning of the revolution. I have been for the people always. Stalin, we were friends. How could you be doing this? And Stalin's like, ha, 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 and then sends them off and they get hanged or shot. Stalin wasn't done with the Politburo. He then begins getting anyone who is associated with Trotsky. Anybody who's associated with, uh, the class of people that he thinks might, uh, be, you know, in competition to be a better communist, better socialist than he is. And so he finds them all, and he, and everywhere he goes, in all of the, so, uh, the Soviet republics, he finds them, he, he gets them out, they call it the Great Purge. He brings them, he puts them in trial, puts them in front of everybody, in front of the cameras, and he's like, did you do this? And they're like, oh yeah, no, of course not. And he shoots them. And after a while, after a while, these guys stop answering. His questions. They stop trying to, like, you know, set the record straight. They stop even bothering to do anything but just confess to the accusations, because it's a foregone conclusion. Stalin's not there to find the truth. He's not there to. So all he's doing is he's, he's killing you, and he's making everyone else afraid. And so, if you're there, and you're trying, like, ah, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, you're wrong about this, you're wrong about that, he laughs. They laugh at you before they kill you. One of the, um, one of the worst parts about being falsely accused of something is, uh, the helplessness that comes with it. Uh, There's some here who've been falsely accused of things, um, and, uh, and it's crazy because especially if you've, you know, worked to like build up a reputation over a long time, you know, and you've really, you really are trying to be, follow and be who God wants you to be. And that, that's, that's costly for you. And it takes a lot of effort and a lot of restraint. And you, you do that and you spend all that time. And then someone comes and they just lay down an accusation. And you know, you know it's wrong, but you also know that some people might believe it's true. And you're wondering, how do I stop this? How do I get out of this trap? Jesus, part of what he's doing here is he's like, it won't matter if I argue. My words are just going to get twisted. It's just going to be another joke to these people. I was reading uh, an article about um, what to do if you've been accused of sexual harassment in the workplace. This is something that's very, um, really a big deal nowadays, especially with the Me Too movement. Um, there's lots of people, men and women, who are uh, making accusations of sexual harassment. And at the, at the bottom of the article, the end result, the, 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 what was decided, is the best thing that you can do is keep your mouth shut and get an aggressive lawyer. Because you have no control over the process. This might be done in good faith, and it might work out fine, and it might be totally great, but it actually might just be a witch hunt. And you won't know the difference until it's already over. And the next thing on your note sheets. When accusations are brought simply in order to harm, there's no defense. If it's just, if they're just trying to get you, you really are helpless. And Jesus really is helpless. Bottom line is, um, he gets it. And 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 if you if you recognize that that Jesus Himself, God in human flesh, He's assumed human nature, fully possesses a divine nature. If God Himself has been through this, then when you go through it too, your prayers change. If you understand who Jesus is and who God is, then your prayers will change when you're in the midst of this isolating, anxiety filled, horrible crucible. Instead of saying, God, help. God, I need your help. It's, Jesus, you know exactly how alone I feel. You know how helpless I am. You know how lost I am. You know how weak I feel. And if there's anybody who's willing to help out right now, it's got to be you. And you have to send your spirit in might and power because I need you to fix this. I need you to surround me with a safe place with people who will care for me, who will get me through, shepherd me through, as my life is being torn apart in another place. Likewise, we, we talked last week, not only do your prayers change, but the way that you listen changes. Instead of, instead of saying, yeah, instead of just God, I'm so lost. I'm so messed up. I'm so, instead, it's like, hey, if you know that God's been there too and he's gone through this, then maybe God has some important helping tips to get you through it too. And maybe that comes in scripture. Maybe that comes through trusted people in the church. Maybe that comes um, even in worship. Maybe we don't know exactly how it comes, but, if, but it, it, you better have your ears open because God's the one who has been through it. He's done it and he has a better plan for surviving it than you do. You notice uh, just one more thing, and then we'll we'll close. You notice we skipped um, some of that kind of important stuff. When Jesus finally pipes up, you know, we sort of we sort of blew through that. I want to I want to just take a step and a step back and just and let this sit. Jesus, are you really the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, "I am." And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right side of the Almighty and coming on the heavenly clouds. Then Caiaphas, interesting response here. <laughs> Tears his clothes. Everyone condemns him, and then uh, some spit on him. Some cover his face, this is weird, cover his face and hit him, saying, prophesy. What I haven't uh, told you yet is that Jesus is actually right on the verge of getting acquitted. See, the, the issue is, is that the, there's the, le- the legal experts. They know that in order to truly convict someone, according to the Levitical accounts, you have to have agreeing testimony. That hasn't happened. This whole show trial has not gone the way they wanted it to. They're just about to have to, and because he won't answer, because he won't say anything, he's not tripping himself up. Basically, pleading the fifth in in order to avoid being tripped up. He's about to go to be gone. And finally, Caiaphas is is just lost. He's like, is there one thing I can do? And so he, he, are you the Messiah? Surprisingly, Jesus pipes up. If you followed the Gospel of Mark, he's been very quiet about his Messiahship the entire time that he's been on earth. He's been very reticent to talk about it. Finally, now, when he's just about to get off, when he's just about to be freed, he stands up and goes, you know what? You got it. I am the Messiah. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right side of the Almighty and coming down on the heavenly clouds. You might think uh, that Caiaphas is like, Yes, we got him. You might think that him tearing his clothes is just sort of like a, you know, he's just playing a part, maybe. You know, the people spitting on him, like, it's just, this is sort of like an expected, like, ha ha, we got you, we're going to kill you now. You might think that. But actually, I don't think that's the case. I think that what's actually gone on is what Jesus has said has horrified these people. Oh, interesting. That uh, covered his face and hit him. This is, uh, at the time, we know from the Mishnah that um, the rabbis had interpreted, you can look it up if you like, uh, Isaiah 11, 1-3, as a messianic text. And in this text, what the uh, rabbis, it says something like, he will not need to see or hear to... Um, to uh, dispense justice or something like that. And they interpret that to mean that the Messiah, when he came, wouldn't need to see you to know who you are. He wouldn't need to hear you to know who you are. And so what they're doing is they're proving he's not the Messiah by putting a bag over his head and hitting him and saying, which one of us hit you? Prophesy, Messiah. And because he doesn't or can't, they assume, okay, well now we know he's definitely not the Messiah. i um I, I think that they're, they're, this this emotion that they're having is genuine. It's, it's, I think they're terrified. Imagine that you're Caiaphas, Imagine that you're you know a wealthy, influential uh, person in Jerusalem. Imagine that you're a religious expert that knows the law very well. What do you think God is like? God is like this super awesome warrior. God's the creator. He's the most powerful. Wherever God goes, he just slaps people around. God is the one who brings, you know, justice to those who need it. God's the one who's looking at Israel and saying, just wait, guys, I'm going to come and I'm going to bash the Romans and you're going to love it. God's the one who comes and he just, when, when people deserve it, he smashes them. And God's Messiah, when he comes, will be just like God. He will be a warrior. He will be a leader. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be, everyone's going to want to hang out with this dude as he wipes out all the injustice and fixes everything and makes it all the way it ought to be. What if Jesus is telling the truth? What does that say about God? Remember, Jesus here, Jesus is like, he's bound, he's been arrested, he's completely powerless, he's been roughed up, he's been lied about, he's been abandoned. He is about the weakest, most pathetic situation that he's ever been in his life. In fact, he's as far from super awesome warrior, leading people to victory, dispensing justice, being an awesome king, he is as far from that as you can possibly get, if he's the Messiah— then that means that God is willing to use weakness. That God is willing to do something outraged. God is willing to suffer at the hands of his own creation. God is willing to humble himself. God, the creator and mighty warrior of the universe, is willing to be less than Caiaphas, less than the people around. God is willing to submit himself to their abuse. what a weak god what what a sick understanding of who god is that he would be merciful that that he would passively accept this abuse uh, in order to accomplish his ends, that he would be a person who's completely and utterly defined by love and outrageous grace to those who are abusing him? Who wants to follow a God like that? What if... God's first word is love and his last word is grace and he sticks to it. What if God is willing to save everyone by letting them abandon him, letting them accuse him, letting letting them mock him and beat him and crucify him? would we even want to be saved by a God like that? We who have accumulated so much, who have so much power, we who live so comfortably. If Jesus is the Messiah, then everything that Caiaphas' life has been about is a lie. And he doesn't know God at all. And so I think when he tears his clothes, he's horrified. Because there's a possibility that this dude might be telling the truth. And that's the last thing in your no know, Jesus. And Jesus is ultimately crucified because he decides to tell the truth about himself and the Father. I mean, we, um, really, one of the ultimate acts of discipleship is, um, for those of you who are concerned and, and do pay attention to, you know, groups like Voice of the Martyrs, um, who follow the persecution of Christians in the world, um, in a lot of cases, it's because the Christians are willing to stand up and tell the truth about who God is and who Jesus is, and as a result, they are usually not killed, but sometimes killed. You know, they're they're removed from having opportunities in business, they're thrown into prison, they're they're. Um, gossip and rumor goes out about them in in the community, they're, they're, they're accused. It's ironic and it's sick and it's sad and it's demonic, but it is the, the utterance of the truth that leads to the accusations that kill. And so if you ever find yourself in that place where you're, you're sitting there and you're telling somebody you don't get it, God's really that gracious. He doesn't care how many times you've screwed up. He's never going to quit on you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. As long as you trust him, He, 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 doesn't, he he's never going to let you out of his hands. You could go as far off the reservation as, as, as you can possibly imagine. He won't stop loving and forgiving and being with you. And, and they hear that and like, I don't want a piece of that God. And they, and they, start, to, they start to reject you and they start to th- make you think that you're crazy and they start to attack you and abuse you and mock you. And, and, and when that happens... He gets it. Because it happened to him too. Let's pray. Gracious God, your last word is grace and you never quit. You're willing to be weak. You're li- willing to let corrupt and evil men accuse you and belittle you humiliate you, and shame you. And even then, you willingly allowed them to crucify you for the truth. And so, God, we confess that in our dark places where we suffer accusation, where we suffer isolation because of it, where we're anxious because our lives are being ruined by those who falsely slander us, God, we trust that you get it. And we ask you to teach us to, to handle it, to survive it, to endure it. And God, when you do, when you raise us, may we praise you and honor you for the way you protected and sustained us in the darkest hours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.